Welcome to the COO Roundtable, powered by PFI Advisors. Here's your host, Matt Sonnen. Welcome back to the COO Roundtable. Uh, this is episode three. We've had a really great reaction throughout the RA industry, and we've had many COOs reach out to us to volunteer their time to be interviewed on this podcast. So I couldn't be more excited for where this is this is headed. Uh, new podcasts are available on our website, pfiadvisors.com. We have a podcast section on the website, or you can subscribe on iTunes or Google Play. Um, today we have two guests from the same firm, Sequoia Financial Group, headquartered in Akron, Ohio. Joining us are Trevor Chuna, the Chief Technology Officer, and Sean Kapazinski, Director of Technology and Operations. Um, so let's, uh, let's jump in. Sean, why don't you give us a, uh, a little bit of uh, background on the firm? Sure. So Sequoia Financial Group is a comprehensive wealth management firm. We've been in business for about 28 years, and we manage uh, just over $4.1 billion of assets. We do have six office locations, and we've got 81 employees. You mentioned our headquarters here in Akron, Ohio. This is where most of our shared services uh, live. And then we've got uh, five other offices. So a total of three here in Ohio, two up in Michigan, and one down in Florida. And we're partnered with a regional accounting firm called Cohen & Company. So we share office space in some of the offices. We utilize some of the base technology together. And then we often go to market together uh, with clients. And that kind of depends on the client segment. So we have three primary segments of clients. Those that are uh, net worth below a million dollars, we call financial advisory clients. We have our core wealth management clients that typically has uh, wealth between two and 20 million of net worth. Um, those are more of your private business owners, other professionals. And then a little bit uh, unique space is the family wealth area. And that's where you see the net worth above 25 million. And those tend to be much more customized engagement. So we've seen a lot of success when we're able to work with Cohen in those wealth management and family wealth opportunities because we're able to go together to market to include different types of planning, uh, multi-generational estate and tax planning, uh, asset management, and comprehensive reporting that we could provide, which has been very successful. That's great. With uh, six locations, three different states, I mean, for everybody, scalability is the name of the game, but you guys have uh, some unique challenges. So this will, this is going to be a great discussion. Um, Sean, why don't you, so that's the firm. Why don't we dig deeper for you personally? Why don't we talk about um, uh, how you joined Sequoia and how your position has evolved over time to where it is today? Sure. So uh, I joined Sequoia back in 2003. Um, I had spent a year out of school working for MassMutual. Uh, being an insurance agent, I realized quickly wasn't the career path for me. So thankfully, Sequoia had a position in operations that was a starting point for me. And we had conversations over the first couple of years about whether or not I wanted to be an advisor or get into the planning side. And I realized pretty quickly that I enjoyed uh, essentially the back office work. You know, it was a small office. There were only 10 of us at the time maybe a hundred million of assets we're managing. So the, the firm has grown a lot over the years, but I knew pretty quickly that uh, I wasn't interested in going the advisor route. And I really liked kind of focusing on the support side from an operational standpoint, all the logistics involved, the organization involved that really fit my skill set. So over time, as the firm grew more clients, more business, uh, we did start hiring more individuals to work in this operations area and I was given that opportunity to manage that team. So for the better part of 10 years, that was kind of my focus is the client service side of operations. As the firm grew, the need for operations also grew beyond just the client service side, and it was more about firm operations. So as the firm grew, uh, I had the chance myself to kind of grow out of that area and get involved in really operational aspects uh, of running the whole firm. Um, you'd think about maybe the practice management topic and all the different aspects that you would encounter, things like HR, uh, your administration, even your finance and accounting, the compliance side, and then certainly technology. So my role has evolved in the past couple of years to be really focused on technology, mainly because we've had such a need to grow in that area, and it lined up real well with my skill set and the experience that I kind of built up over the years with that client service team. So uh, essentially left kind of that client service group 
and have been spending the past couple of years working real close with Trevor, uh, building out Sequoia's technology platform. That's fantastic. <clears throat> and Trevor, um, let's let's hear your story. Uh, how did you join the firm and, and how has your, your position evolved over time? Yeah, absolutely. So <clears throat> I actually joined the firm back in uh, back in 2007, and uh, prior to joining Sequoia, I actually worked um, uh, as an advisor, client-facing advisor with uh, with Merrill Lynch, and and I was responsible for bringing new business, uh, managing ongoing client relationships, and um, I found that that wasn't exactly what I enjoyed enjoyed doing. Uh, it's actually a small subset of what I did as a whole that I really enjoyed, which was really developing. Uh, financial plans for the the clients and prospects that I was working with. So um, I, I came across Sequoia. Uh, they actually had the opportunity to focus 100% of my time on on doing those things, um, and so I, I made the I made the trans transition over in, in 2007. Uh, and at the time, you know, I'm, I'm a few years after Sean in terms of joining Sequoia. We were around 20 20 uh, 20 uh, employees at the time. And uh, I think we were on like 400 million in, in assets uh, under management. And um, we've obviously grown a lot since then, which was great from an opportunity standpoint. It allowed me to come in and kind of from uh, be the only person who was in our, what we coined the, the wealth planning department to, um, to grow it to be a team of, a team of six. And um, so now it's, now it's actually becoming a team of five because as I've, as I've transitioned um, uh, in my career and worked within the wealth planning department, they, uh, they a couple of years ago came, came to me and said, you know, we are as part of a client segmentation project effectively, which Sean did a nice job of out outlining what those segments look like. We were really honing in on the advisory space and saying what, what technology lives out there that's going to help us better service these clients, but do it in a way where um, we can give them high level of high level of service without, um, you know, doing a lot of, of the manual work that traditionally client relationships require. So, kind of started as a project. Hey, go find some technology that uh, that will meet these needs, and kind of came back and said, there's a lot of incredible kind of white label robo advisor platforms out there, uh, but the downside is is that none of them integrate with our existing systems and all the things that these platforms do, we're going to need to be able to do it for all of our clients, no matter what, what their wealth size was, um, you know, the next handful of years. And, and so my recommendation was, you know, that we go, we go bigger, um, you know, our leadership uh, completely agreed with that. And so then we went back out to market and said, what's going to, what's going to actually fulfill that need. And, you know, we ended up um, starting with kind of our CRM system and making a switch there. Um, and, and did that research, you know, we had, in our instance, we ended up landing on Salesforce as that solution. And so uh, since I did all the research and um, <clears throat> came up with the solution, they said, great, you want to go ahead and implement it and said, yeah, that's, that's great. Uh, let's, uh, let's, let's do that. And uh, you know, that's when Sean and I began to work together on this project and work through the project. And they said, this is even bigger than we anticipated. Us as an organization said, we want to go even, even bigger. We want to kind of take it to the next level as it relates to just creating an entire technology uh, platform to run our business on. So um, at that point, they, they asked me to kind of switch gears from uh, leading our wealth planning department to uh, actually serving in a, a chief technology officer role. So that's where I am today. That's fantastic. It's it's interesting that both of you have had client experience roles in, in the past, and and you can tell that you're using your current roles in focused on technology to really drive that that client experience. We've we've talked about it a lot, uh, either on this podcast or in a lot of the white papers we do or blog posts. The high level of NERA is to provide that high touch service to an ever increasing client base. You want to always have the client feel that uh, they're getting very hands-on uh, experience. Um, but you, the goal of the RIA is to be able to provide that to more and more uh, uh, clients over time. Um, and I know that um, you guys definitely are, are priding yourself on, on best-of-breed technology. So Trevor, um, what, else is Tre what else is Sequoia doing to leverage technology for specifically around that client experience? It's a good question. So, you know, there's a, there's a few different ways that, you know, we're kind of tackling this. And, and you kind of mentioned that that deep client service. You know, I think one of the things, um, you know, we the, the majority of the people in this industry are in it because they want to want to help people. Um, and as you as you see more technology solutions 
coming out, it's, it's starting to force us to change our mindset from uh, great client service, kind of white glove service doing, meaning that, it, uh, that we do everything for the client. And it's not that we do everything the client. That's not great client service. That's not white glove service. It's actually how do we empower the client to work with us the way that they want to work with us. Um, so that's where different technology tools like your client portal come into play. Uh, but then even internally, you know, how do we how do we do things like facilitate our client meetings? You know, are we printing off reports? Are we delivering things digitally and providing them a copy of that afterward through their through their client portal or even attaching it to email if they prefer not to engage with us that way so they can continue to reference it and have it in a more secure location. Um, you know, it's, it's us following up after those uh, ongoing client meetings and whether they're in person or digitally, you know, having an automated process behind that that says, you know, we met with the client, here are the things we identified, here are the next best actions that we need to take, and here's how we execute on it and and having a more defined standard as to you know how do how do we execute on it what is the internal uh, process behind um, you know delivering that client service following up with them with the right timing um, and making sure that they're getting the things that they need in a timely manner and in an accurate in an accurate way so that um, they can continue to focus on the things that are important to them running their business um, you know spending time with their family and we can work work on the logistics of executing on the things that make those uh, other items possible that's fantastic um... So in our in our white paper, our COO white paper, uh, Trevor, you were kind enough to be interviewed for that. Um, we identified three high level responsibilities of a chief operating officer: uh, the day to day administration of the firm. That's really around executing the company's business plan and upholding the firm's culture. Um, two is is workflow improvements, managing vendor relationships, overseeing the firm's technology stack, um, and then three. Uh, a lot of COOs are taking on the HR role as well. They're, they're responsible for recruiting, developing, and retaining employees um, as the firm uh, continues to grow. So, um, Trevor, during the, the interview, uh, we discussed how your role may be more of a traditional chief technology officer role. Um, can you offer more color on how those two, you know, the COO and the CTO, how, how they overlap? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, if we kind of go through your your bullet point list there, yeah. um, you know, as it relates to day to day administration or kind of executing on the firm's business plan, you know, every every year around this time, we release kind of to the firm. Um, you know, our CEO will uh, you will identify you know what are our goals for the year, what are we looking to accomplish, and when you look at all of those goals, you know, we have we have five that are identified. Every single one of them. Uh, overlays with technology in some fashion, uh, whether it be the client experience, whether it be, you know, just efficiencies and how do we drive them internally, uh, or even a kind of our growth plan. You know, how do we grow um, uh, organically and how are we equipping individuals to do that, whether it be through marketing automation, driving more, uh, you know, activity to our website so we have more inbound uh, activity as it relates to new business or creating a platform that allows us to be the acquirer uh, of choice as we look to do new M&A deals. So um, it, it kind of it has a broad reach. You know, every every goal that we have includes technology as some component. So having somebody that's devoted to that, um, you know, is going to yield the best result. So when you kind of get into your hit list number two of, yep. you know, the workflow improvement, you know, it's it's not only creating a place where uh, you know, new new firms or, or firms to be acquired want to want to move to because of the platform itself. It's saying, you know, for the folks who are already here and all the different business units that we have, you know, how do they operate each day? What are the tools that they are using to um, to execute on client service or to execute on compliance and all the internal operations that that we have? You know, there's um, there's kind of the old way of doing things, which you know is through Excel checklists and um, you know, Word documents and facilitating, um, you know, uh, through those means. Um, or there's, you know, specific technology out there that continues to be built that has specific components that allow us to work better, work faster, and be more accurate in the work that we do. So to actually go and get that technology, get the best in breed that's going to help us deliver the best client service, have the best operations, um, you know, we felt that it was important to centralize that role. 
So to, to make those good decisions about what technology is going to help us work better, um, you know, having a CTO in place needs to understand every business unit, all the operations that they have going on and working with those business leaders to say, you know, kind of, kind of what takes the most time in your day? What are the things you're doing the most of? And where is there opportunity to either add technology to make it easier or eliminate or automate what you're already doing or potentially replace and say, hey, you know, you've been doing things this way for the past 10 years. You know, do we need to reconsider this? You know, do we need to completely rethink the way that we work and kind of ditch the old way of doing it and find an entirely new solution, which is, you know, kind of leave it, leave the history behind and say, all right, if you were if you were building this thing from scratch, how would you really want to do it? What, what would you envision um, uh, some some sort of technology that's going to help me execute on these things. So um, that that seems to be the big overlap as it relates to you know the operational functions and kind of the business goals that we have uh, today and ongoing. And then when you think of the human resources component of it, while this role does not go out and find the talent, uh, what this role and the team um, as part of our technology team is doing is creating the platform where we want to be the employer of choice. You know, there's less and less advisors entering the industry and, you know, we need young, young, talented advisors to join Sequoia. Um, and, you know, firms uh, outside of Sequoia may already have these talented individuals. And if they're not keeping pace with technology, um, you know, the, those employees can become very frustrated uh, with the firms that they are residing at if, um, if the, the leadership there is not willing to make the investment that makes their lives uh, better and helps them make their clients' lives better. So uh, while, again, we're not directly hiring, we we do feel we are creating uh, a platform that allows us to be kind of that employer of choice and attract the best talent um, along with it. I love it. There's there's so much talk. Uh, it usually starts with, oh, the robos are going to replace all advisors. And then that conversation usually turns into, well, how are human advisors leveraging technology to enhance the client experience? Let's put technology in the hands of the client. And that's usually where the conversation ends. You've taken it one step deeper. I, I love your focus on getting the right tech tools in the hands of the employees so that they can do their job and they can service the clients. Um, I, think that's, I think that's fantastic. Um, Sean, how do you... Um, how do you help work through the inevitable growing pains from a new technology standpoint? Yeah, so our goal is really to minimize disruption. Uh, certainly the, the idea with any new technology is to enhance the experience that we're giving, as Trevor was describing. So we really try to do that in three, three main ways. Uh, the first is preparation. The second is through training. And the third is through ongoing support. So our preparation uh, is where Trevor was talking about the fact that the two of us will spend a lot of time um, on the front end, really going in depth with any new provider or system. You know, we want to not only fully understand, um, you know, what it's going to do or what it currently can do, but we also want to know what its roadmap is, what what those companies are thinking in terms of where they're going. You know, this this helps us kind of plan for the next phases of what we're trying to do with our employees uh, or with our clients. So an example would be um, we currently have a, a client portal, and when we're talking to any new kind of major provider, you know, we're looking to see, do they provide a, a client portal, or are they thinking of providing a client portal, or is there a way that we could utilize something that they uh, offer, uh, Salesforce is the, the main example, that we could ultimately go towards that someday in the future. So we may not implement something right out of the gate, but we do want to understand what those capabilities are, and that helps us make decisions um, in terms of preparing our firm for where we might be going. Second item I mentioned was training. You know, we place a high value, as, as a lot of firms do, on adequately training everyone in the firm, making sure that the major areas where they need to utilize technology, uh, that they learn those areas really well, because that's going to help them succeed. It's going to help them do their job well, and it's going to help them serve their clients as best they can. We're big into repetition. So uh, we got in the habit of preparing a self-study where people could essentially go through an outline. Um, very little of it is written. There's actually a lot more of it that is in video format. So it walks users kind of through the, the new changes, walks them through steps of how to do their daily job and to use the system in a way that might be different than what they were used to before. And so that we then, then follow up with usually a go live training. So when we roll out uh, a new program, or a new enhancement feature, we'll often do a 
the kind of the bigger the project or the bigger the rollout, like we just had a new document management system. That was a, uh, you know, we'll have an hour training session that we'll offer multiple times so that people can uh, either attend one that works in their schedule or some folks were coming back, you know, second, third time because they really want to make sure they understand in depth. And then ongoing, we'll offer what we call office hours. And that's a chance for Trevor or myself to make ourselves available on a regular basis to the firm that effectively operates as training. It's extra time. Folks can come in, ask their questions, or if we've gotten a lot of questions, we might put together kind of a uh, FAQ. You know, here are some of the questions that others had. We want our 80 other people to be able to learn from that experience. And so that has been uh, part of that kind of repetition that we've seen work for our team. And then the last item I mentioned was support. So, you know, growing pains are usually when, um, you know, something is different, right? It's just change. And so how do you get used to that? Well, a lot of times we don't want to just jump to the next new thing and roll out something else when people aren't either used to or comfortable with or, you know, they've, they've stopped having errors that they might be experiencing on the front end. So for us, having some kind of ongoing maintenance to support our systems, that's, that's been really important. It's been a big part of building trust with our team. Um, and that's, that's hard to build that trust without having uh, a good experience on their end. Um, we're always kind of eager to go to the next big thing, but we know that if we can't get them through those painful initial moments, um, we've got to be able to provide resources for them to, to get ready for the, you know, the next phases. So we might reference back to some of the videos. Uh, we might, um, we actually use our Salesforce system for people to put in their requests for items that they're having issues with. So they're actually using the system uh, to learn it, to learn it a little bit better. So those are, those are really the three main areas I thought of uh, when it comes to kind of how do you get through those, those times when uh, the disruption is definitely there. So it feels like you might be taking an initial step back, but ultimately the goal is to push forward and, and take a big leap. I love the the video idea. I mean, a lot of firms, you have checklists, but people learn in different ways. Are the videos, is that Sequoia employees in the videos or are you getting those videos from the, the various technology vendors that kind of make up your stack and, and it's sort of how-to coming from them or are you guys recording those internally? So we've had a little bit of both. Um, most of them, I'd say, the majority of them are actually coming from us here internally. So we're not necessarily... Uh, know, videoing us uh, standing up, giving a presentation. We're actually recording our screens and doing the audio and walking through kind of click by click. So um, I think the earliest phase is when we were looking at some of the outside ve uh, vendors, consultants, you know, that they would help us put this together as we were building it. Um, now that we kind of saw the best practice as it relates to maybe what they built or even what companies might have on their own websites, it gave us a feel for some of the basics like uh, make it short, right? You know, a couple minutes, um, you know, maybe five, six minutes max. We want to put these into bite-sized chunks. Yep. Uh, that way it's easier to go through their, their training outline. Um, second thing would be, you know, talk slow and move the mouse slow. You know, don't, don't jump around super quick because that delay, people aren't going to see you know, where that mouse was, where you click. So there's just little tips like that that we've picked up along the way. And um, we, so far we've, we've gotten good feedback on them. So we're going to continue to work that way. That's, I love it. So, um, Trevor, uh, during the white paper interview that you that we did together, you said something to the effect that you feel the RA industry is behind on a technology and automation perspective um, when you compare it to other large industries. Um, can you explain how you think the RA space could learn from others? Yeah, absolutely. So, <clears throat> you know, part of the I feel, I feel like part of the learning has been forced i mean you know several years ago now it's becoming as you know robo robo advisors started to be introduced and kind of you know at first it's like this initial shock like uh oh you know the, the robos are going to replace replace us as advisors they're just going to take over and um you know all the things that we do and pride ourselves on investment management um you know uh, regular reviews with the client um, and giving them a level of security as to, you know, am I, here's my risk tolerance and, you know, here's my, here's how my objective flushes into, you know, my ultimate investment strategy. You know, that's, that was all automated. And I think it kind of kicked us all and said, you know, that's, look at, look at all those things that that technology can do. What are we going to do to keep pace? And it's not that we didn't use technology prior to that. You know, there were, there were great technology platforms out there 
even before that. But I think it, it just raised the awareness uh, and forced us all to think about just the way that we engage with our clients, um, our clients directly. So, you know, that's, that's somewhat industry specific, right? So we're still talking financial mm-hmm. services, but it just raised to light, you know, what's possible. And so if you think of really any service industry now at this point, you know, you can go to their website and, um, you know, that's going to pop up a, a chat bot and you've got the ability to, to communicate with that institution right there. And chances are it's a computer on the other end half the time. And uh, it's going to be able to respond to a majority of the questions that you have, or it's going to ultimately direct you to the, you know, a, a human advisor. And so us in the RIA industry, you know, once, once you get past that initial shock of, you know, the robos are coming, um, you can only take a step back and think about the tools themselves. And then how can I ultimately leverage these tools for better client service? And kind of going back to the statement I made earlier, white glove service isn't necessarily doing everything from the, for the client. It's changing with the world around you and allowing, it, allowing them to do it on on their terms, whatever that might look like, you know, and you're going to always have older clients who, you know, are kind of technology adverse. And then you're going to have the younger clients where they, they want to engage 90% of the way through tech technology. You know, and there's certain things that humans do real well, like empathize and, um, you know, help ease the fears of a client during a, a recession or a, a family crisis. And uh, you're going to have things that technology does really well, like automate processes and look at large amounts of data and report it back to you. And then there's kind of this, you know, this whole idea of this missing middle where the two kind of collide, they kind of come together. And I think, you know, kind of the the core of that, uh, I even think of, you know, the wealth planning department and, and when we were part of that and we moved to e-money back in 2007 and planning software has existed for a long time. Don't get me wrong, but you know, the whole idea that um, planning became more possible and became more scalable and you could do it for more clients because you had a a piece of technology that allowed you to put in a handful of data inputs and then analyze those results immediately. And then it took it to the next level where you could apply Monte Carlo iterations to everything that you were doing in that system. No human could run a thousand Monte Carlo iterations on a financial plan, you know, 30 years ago. So the fact that there's this missing middle where they, you know, now we're starting to collide, you know, we got machines, you've got humans, and now there's this part where we start working together really well. So this whole digital augmentation of, you know, creating superpowers for effectively superpowers for the advisors of, you know, I, I can, I can stop worrying about receiving inbound, uh, telephone calls and, you know, random emails with all these different client service requests. Why can't we create a portal where they can go do self-serve? They can, they can not only see the information that they want, they might be able to interact with us to a certain extent through a chat bot or make direct requests of uh, different workflows that we may otherwise had to kick off manually. I want to move money. I want to open a new account. Um, you know, so other industries have, I think more than anything, gave us the ability to think outside the box, helped us and forced us to rethink the way that we ultimately, um, the way that we ultimately work. And so, you know, a, a question we always have internally is, you know, what is our benchmark? You know, what are we, do we need to be um, better than the RAA down the street who, you know, only has a CRM system and they otherwise do everything else kind of manually or is our benchmark you know, Amazon. Um, and, you know, obviously they, they have an incredible ability to create a seamless interface and they're prompting you with, with all the, uh, based on the last thing you selected, here's the thing that you might want to buy to go with it. Um, you know, all of that takes a large investment. And I think the answer is probably somewhere, somewhere in the middle. Some, and, and it's probably changes, you know, depending on where you're looking at your organization, you know, your standard for your client portal may be Amazon. When it comes to your internal uh, internal processes, it may be, you know, the small RIA down the street or even uh, a large bank institution. So I think it, it all kind of depends on uh, ultimately what's the client that you're looking to serve? What's the what's the services you provide to that client? And based on uh, the types of clients you work with, what is the experience they're looking for? And I think if you focus your energy and effort on that, you're going to go um, you're going to go a lot farther and a lot faster. And I guess kind of last thing I would I would throw in there is um, uh, I think another reason the the RA industry has been behind in a way 
is that, you know, by our very nature, we're independent. You know, we want to do what's in the best interest of our clients. That's the number one priority. So when we apply that same um, core value that's in our hearts to the business decisions that we make, uh, especially as it relates to technology, we want to go find best in breed, best in class to meet whatever that specific need is for the client. So there's been all these different technologies that have been created, whether it be investment management or planning or contact management. You know, we've gone out there and we've gone, oh, this is the best one. that th- This one does has the best features for my clients here. This one has the best features over here. And because of that, it all became partial. And so we're just now getting to the, the point and, and these providers are not just now getting to the point where they're opening up their architecture and allowing each other to talk. Um, where before that, that didn't happen. You had to, you had to either have homegrown systems, um, or, you know, go to a large provider where, you know, you were in essence, uh, bucketed and limited, on um, what the features and functionality were that you were doing. And, um, you know, a lot of, a lot of people in our space just aren't, aren't thrilled with the idea of, of limitations and how they can service their clients. So uh, a lot of advances have been made, again, in, in the providers out there and their willingness to talk to each other. And I think it's, uh, it's a great opportunity right now to get ahead of the game in the, in the RIA space and, and make those initial investments that are going to allow you to create the right client service experience that you're looking for uh, and also the right platform for the people who are on your team uh, to work better and, and ultimately live better. I said it earlier, and it just keeps coming up, that it's very interesting that both of you started your careers in client service roles, um, and you're not, you can you can tell, it keeps coming up throughout this conversation, you're not just living in a technology ivory tower somewhere, you're, you're both, you, you're both leading with what is the client experience, what is the client experience, everyone talks about it, but I don't know if people are executing it to the level that you guys are, this is, this is really fascinating. Um, Sean, let's talk about Salesforce because I know um, you and Trevor have both done extensive work um, there. So can you um, talk about how Sequoia is leveraging uh, Salesforce? Sure. So as Trevor mentioned, we wanted to end up with the best in breed uh, product, essentially. Uh, and I should say experience. You know, we were, we were working with Microsoft and um, over 10 years of that client service side of my role, I had seen a lot of that interaction both on the client side and on the advisor or team side here at Sequoia. And uh, over that time, you kind of learn about what's missing or what you'd want or where you'd like to go. And, and you get a lot of suggestions as the firm grows and you have new people come in. Uh, you know, they, they give you suggestions or they bring from the outside. You know, we had this at the firm I was at. And so there were a lot of different things that would come into us. And some of them we could do. It was a little slow in terms of how we were able to build it. Um, I'm not the you know, coding programmer developer type. So we always had to, you know, rely upon uh, others to help us with that. And so, you know, really for us to to make the final decision about going with Salesforce, we, we really felt they were best in breed. Um, they had industry knowledge, you know, being an RAA and, and knowing that some of these larger programs um, that would allow us to do the things that we wanted to do, we wanted to be with a company that had solutions that were specific to uh, what we not only did, but where we wanted to go. Um, as Trevor mentioned, we didn't necessarily just want to benchmark against others in the RA space, um, but against experiences outside. So we did feel like uh, Salesforce provided a platform for us where uh, it would take us into the future. It would allow us to build that better client experience. Um, a big piece of it was also having integration capabilities. So whether it's our portfolio management system, uh, our different custodians, the document management uh, program that we have now, we wanted that all to be in one spot. And so we have the capability. Some of those are in place already. Uh, some of those integrations we're still building. And we know that there are some uh, that are going to come hopefully in the future. So that for us was also a huge win. Uh, something as simple as being mobile. You know, we didn't have really a mobile solution for our team. So getting information into the kind of the palm of the hands of all of our advisors uh, was something that we were lacking before. So that ability to have a system where we could implement the, the, let's say, the processes and procedures that we already had um, while enhancing them and putting it in the palm of the hand, you know, getting the advisors to that information faster allows them to service their clients better. So for us, we feel that that kind of 360 degree view of the client, that's really the goal we're shooting for is put all that information um, at their fingertips, you know, get them to it quickly. 
we've had a great experience. You know, we really liked also uh, that we could outsource different types of support. So whether it's the initial implementation that we did or whether it's the ongoing uh, kind of one-off consultants, you know, like I said, Trevor and myself, we're not the, the coder developer, you know, real technical guys that are going to do the true what Salesforce calls their admin roles. So for us, it was important that we could actually uh, kind of quickly get to people that had that skill set, could understand our org, uh, and then could continue to support us over time. So we've, we've utilized different folks um, that we've been able to get to. And that was something that, you know, from what we found, most of the other options that we were looking at didn't have kind of that kind of a network. So the fact that it is a large system, the whole Salesforce uh, ecosystem, you know, there's a lot of folks out there that are willing to support it and really uh, have kind of taken their expertise and they're able to plug it in to what we want to do. So we've had great experiences. We're really happy uh, with the different vendors that we've worked with. And uh, for us, you know, we're not just helping Sequoia, but we actually think through our custodians uh, and even Salesforce and some of the consultants, we're actually pushing the industry forward. We're pushing the REA space forward in terms of what people could do. So our hope is that that can be kind of spread and, and it benefits others down the line. Fantastic. Uh, and, and Trevor, um, you talked about early in your career, you were you were very uh, involved in, in the financial planning, actually doing the financial plans. Um, but now is in your technology role, you uh, both of you have been involved in developing Sequoia's uh, financial planning platform. So Trevor, I'll throw that one to you. Can you tell us a little bit more about uh, your work there? Absolutely. Yeah. So the, the kind of the historical involvement that I had within our, our uh, financial planning was, um, you know, effectively building what is today our wealth planning department along with uh, everyone else on the team. And, you know, what that, what that team ultimately does is draft the financial plans for all of our uh, advisors to leverage in their client relationships, update those plans, as well as kind of house all the intellectual capital behind the technical planning that we do. So we create what we call kind of turnkeys, uh, which is kind of a mix of modular planning tools uh, that, that the advisors can leverage with their clients, as well as uh, white papers, you know, kind of one to two page uh, snapshot documents that say, you know, here's everything the client would need to know about this topic. And it can be a marketing piece. It can be a, a leave behind. Um, it can also be a great way for us internally with younger advisors to get up to speed on a topic. So we're walking into, you know, I'm a, I'm a younger advisor. I'm walking into this meeting with a, a more senior advisor, and we're going to be talking with the client and the attorney about uh, intentionally defective grant or trusts. You know, this one to two pager is technical enough that um, you know that that junior advisor can kind of read through it and be up to speed before that meeting and basically know everything they really need to know uh, right before that meeting and 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 actually contribute to it because of it. So that's kind of the the historical piece, kind of the next phase of all that. And I think if you talk to any advisor, any RIA in the industry, you know one of the most difficult challenges that we have um, is capturing client data. You know, it's the whole premise of garbage in, garbage out when you're developing a plan. And that's probably my biggest beef when it comes to, you know, uh, thinking a robo advisor is going to be a full solution for really any client out there. And I know there's a lot of do-it-yourselfers uh, who want that control. They don't think it's worth paying somebody for uh, additional help, but you can't. Yeah, yet anyway, uh, a machine can't take uh, take away the intuition that comes from a human. Right. You know, being able to um, put data into a system as a client doesn't mean you're going to yield uh, the right result. Um, it's got to be put in a certain way. It's got to be understood a certain way. And you need you need that advisor to disseminate what that ultimately means and how it's actionable. The result without action is kind of worthless. So, um, you know, that's really our, our next phase of all of this is how do we take our planning process and digitize it? Um, and not that it's not digital, you know, currently it's how do we make it simpler for the client to communicate things to us so that we can be more real time and us delivering results back. So, you know, that, that's a level of client portal interaction. That's a level of, uh, data gathering, um, by digital means, uh, and actually incorporating it as part of our client review process. How do we, how do we proactively reach out to that client? Uh, in the meeting or before the meeting or after the meeting and capture the, you know, what we define as the client's vital signs 
so that we can determine uh, do they do they need an MRI? Do you know what's the what's the next phase of their um, of their treatment? So um, that's kind of where we're at now is continuing to rethink the way that we work. Like I said, we've you know we've done it a certain way for the past you know 15 years. Um, uh, in essence, we've made modifications, we've digitized certain components of the old process, but now we're saying. Let's throw out the old process. If we were going to start Sequoia today, what would we want this to look like? What would the tools be? And then how are we going to achieve that? So uh, it's kind of fun uh, to uh, to work through that with our private client and uh, wealth planning group. Um, and uh, we're excited to see where it goes uh, over the coming months and how we uh, transform that. It's fantastic. Once again, leading with the client experience. I love it. It's great. Um, so, Sean, uh, as you know, one of the goals uh, for this podcast is to just provide a reference point uh, to COOs uh, to turn to, to learn from best practices from others. Uh, but way before we launched this podcast, this is whopping episode three, <laughs> um, way before we launched this podcast, uh, you launched Hyphen, H-I-F-O-N, stands for High Impact Financial Operations Network. And the website for Hyphen states, I love this, most operations leaders are alone at their firm, but you don't have to be alone in your career. I think that's so true. So um, can you tell us a little bit about about the group, um, how old it is, how many members, et cetera? Sure. Kind of give you the quick story. I mean, you kind of summed it up briefly there real well that, you know, we, we exist to help anybody who's working in an RAA in an operational capacity um, it's COOs, it's directors, it's managers, you know, it's folks that basically uh, like this conversation. They, they like to learn, they like to absorb information, and they, they want to get with the right people that can help them. Um, so effectively, uh, about 10 years ago, I had this interest um, as our firm was growing and as I felt like I was kind of alone and I didn't know if I was doing things right. I, I really just didn't have a good gauge of that. When I started going to conferences here and there, which again is maybe once a year, you uh, you find people. And that was great for me. I was able to connect with folks, um, but I realized I'd leave there and it was kind of this letdown, this disappointment. You have a stack of business cards, but you don't necessarily follow up with those people. And even if you do, it might be one person here or there, one at a time. And so I thought, well, I've heard of advisors having study groups. I'll just join one of the nation's you know, industry leading uh, study groups for the operations side of the RA. Uh, industry. And I was searching around for maybe, I don't know, six, eight months, talking to anybody I could, asking. And everywhere I looked and everyone I asked, I just, I came up with nothing. So um, I decided I was going to reach out to five other folks that I had met over the past couple of years from other firms kind of spread out uh, among, I think it was more regional at that point, just because of my reach. And I asked them, I said, do you want to have a monthly conference call and talk about best practices? share with each other what we're going through, ask each other questions, see if we can help each other out. So that for me was really the start of Python kind of getting off the ground. Um, it snowballed from there. They started telling other people that they worked with. Um, I started telling other people at other conferences I'd go to. And essentially before you knew it, you know, we had uh, 30, 40 members after a few years. So from there, I ended up getting involved with Bob Barris and his uh, Insiders Forum conference. And, you know, he really gave us a bit of a platform to start having sessions and get involved in the um, uh, just kind of the conference scene as it related to bringing more to operations professionals within our industry. So from there, uh, you know, Bob's, Bob's attention to it and even members starting to use just word of mouth and share with each other, you know, we set up a discussion board and uh, really gave people more of a uh, a one-stop shop to be able to network with folks kind of any day of the year uh, because of the discussion board. And then we keep going with the monthly conference calls and there's been interest in other areas of firms. So we have uh, a regular marketing call. We have a compliance call. You know, we've done it with particular programs. So there's a Salesforce group that meets, there's a Tamarack group that meets, and it's really just kind of blossomed into what people want. Uh, I never really intended for it to be, uh, you know, a couple hundred firms, which is what we have today. Um, but simply the, the demand seems to be there and we're, we're ready to grow. You know, we're ready for the next 200 firms to join us. So it's an exciting spot to be in. And uh, I'm just thankful for everyone who's made it a priority to attend. That's amazing what you've, you've been able to do. We'll put, um, we'll put a link to the hyphen website uh, in the notes for, for this episode as well. 
Um, so let's let's switch gears to M and A. It's such a big story in the RIA space uh, today. Uh, Sequoia had a lot of headlines. It was even another one this week, uh, a couple days ago, in investment news. Um, your largest acquisition to date was last year. Um, Sequoia purchased LJPR Financial Advisors, uh, $776 million RIA in Michigan. Um, and we've talked a lot, PFI's talked a lot about um, technology and operations and workflows, et cetera, the role of that in the M&A game. Um, so Trevor, can you speak to how Sequoia's technology infrastructure is helping you in, with your M&A strategy? Hey, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, when you when you look at, you know, the some of the RA firms out there and there's, you know, there can be I guess two primary ones come to mind. You know, it's kind of the the retiring or transitioning advisor who's looking for a landing spot for their for their clients to be and their team to be longer term. Uh, or it's kind of that younger advisor who's kind of in growth mode and they're looking to go farther faster. Um, technology helps with that in a lot of ways. And I'd say the biggest highlight is it's it's becoming a requirement, right? You know, to, to create that client experience, to have the automation that allows you to create scale and remain profitable while uh, there's kind of margin pressure in our industry to, to, you know, through delivering more, more uh, advice to the clients outside of an investment management, there's heavier lifting to do there. So you've got to create uh, a level of scale to accomplish that. You know, additionally, the investments in uh, that need to be made in, in technology, you know, they cost, they do cost money. So you've got to have economies of scale to actually pay for uh, those things that you're that you're building and, and executing on. So, you know, LJPR was just another uh, opportunity us, for us to create more scale and allow us to have additional invest investments in, uh, in infrastructure and technology is a, a huge part of that. So, um, you know, it's again, it's, it's that landing space um, from a, a kind of a human resources standpoint, where does the team want to be, especially when you have younger individuals who, you know, want to be at a place that's kind of cutting edge uh, in, uh, in how they uh, equip their, their employees to, you know, do the work that they do each day. And then uh, what's the best landing place for my clients? How, what's going to be the best experience for them so that when I do transition and I have these discussions about, you know, me as an advisor transitioning away, you know, somebody who I may have worked with, you know, their entire lifetime to date with it as an advisor, um, you know, they want to have comfort that where they're going is, is at least as good as, uh, as what they're moving away from. Um, and when you can layer in technology and our uh, incredible wealth planning team to support those transitions, um, you know, it goes a long way in, in highlighting us as the um, uh, acquirer of choice. Fantastic. I, I just got introduced to uh, Never Split the Difference, a book uh, written by Chris Voss. He was a FBI hostage negotiator, and he wrote this book on negotiating. And in the book, he says, you know, you get to the yes, uh, and everybody high fives and says, wow, the deal's done. But his, his quote that, that just resonates with me so much is, yes is nothing without how. So once you're at that negotiating table and the buyer and seller agree, um, now the seller is saying, okay, how are we going to do this? How exactly are my clients going to be onboarded? How are my employees going to be onboarded? And until the buyer can show that in that dating process, um, I just think that firms are going to continue to, to fail, um, especially with the how competitive it is right now with multiple buyers uh, per seller. I just think that sellers are looking for that how just as much as, well, how big is the check? Uh, they want to know how is the onboarding going to go? Um, what you know, Do you have a plan? I think so many buyers, they think, well, I'm just going to throw my arm around the seller and give him a big hug, give him or her a big hug and say, hey, buddy, we'll figure this out together. And I just think... Uh, uh, it's, it's just the wrong attitude. And, and you guys are doing so much on that, um, laying out the framework and making the seller feel comfortable. I think, uh, you guys are going to have success, uh, for years to come in, in, in that area. Um, so we can't talk about M and a without, we have to talk about Sean's new book. Sean just put out a new book, uh, partnered with Greg Friedman of private ocean, uh, called the financial advisors M and a guidebook. So in addition to the hyphen website, we'll also have a link, uh, link to this. You're a, you're a busy guy, Sean. <laughs> um, can you tell us about the book and the, the motivation behind, uh, behind writing it? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm a big believer in taking advantage of opportunities that, uh, that come your way. So uh, through uh, Bob Varis and his conference, uh, 
Greg Friedman attended there on a regular basis. So Greg and I both have a, a passion for technology. And as we met and started having conversations, um, we also started just kind of comparing what our firms were doing. And yeah. the conversation about M&A just kept coming up. And, um, you know, really, he felt that the industry didn't have a lot from the kind of you mentioned when firms decide to come together and then it's time to uh, execute on what's been decided. You know, that's where operations gets involved. And technology is a really big part of that. So as we've been talking about a lot of technology here in this conversation today, you can really see that every aspect that your firm decides to do, imagine, you know, marrying that up with somebody else. And certainly there are a lot of firms that are probably going to listen to this that have gone through it and they know that it's not a perfect science. Uh, there's, there's very much uh, experience, you know, learn as you go and experience that you get uh, as you talk to other firms and as you experience it yourself. So, you know, the two of us really like the idea of sharing things on a broader scale. Uh, certainly Hyphen has that as a part of its kind of core foundation, being able to share in a broad way. Um, so for us, for him, I'd say maybe as a natural conclusion uh, that we, we needed to put a book out on this topic that hit technology and how two firms can integrate. So um, in terms of the contents, you know, we, we wanted to share not only our experiences, but I ended up interviewing a lot of Hyphen members. So Greg comes at it from the, the angle of an owner advisor. Um, and, and certainly what tech strategy is and how that should be considered early in the process. And then obviously I come at it from the operations side, you know, executing on what those decisions are. So we go through everything from that uh, strategy to when you have to assess both sides and the, the different technology that, uh, that each firm might be bringing to the table. And then what it looks like to bring those together and kind of how you deal with that and the, uh, some of the discussion we had earlier really fits into uh, to that topic. So we were excited. Um, to be able to, to do this together. And uh, you're right, it's out. Uh, we're thankful to have it published here and hopefully it's gonna help a lot of firms as they go through their experiences uh, in the M&A world. Fantastic. I have really, really enjoyed this conversation. You guys um, have tremendous insights, a very unique uh, backstory for both of you. Um, I can't thank you both enough for uh, sharing your insights today. Likewise, yeah, thank you for having us. It's been great. Absolutely. Yeah, thanks, and, Matt. It's been really fun. Of course. Um, so, and then obviously for those of you that are listening, th uh, thank you. Um, please let other RIA professionals know about this podcast and the content that we're covering in each episode. Um, please subscribe, as I said at the beginning, uh, either iTunes or Google Play, or you can just keep a lookout on our on our website. We've got a podcast section um, there. Um, and uh, PFI Advisors, we're going to continue to work towards our mission which is to further evolve the RIA industry from a collection of practices to businesses and to be a continued voice in validating the industry as a legitimate landing spot for billion-dollar teams and their clients. So thanks again for listening, and we will speak to you all soon.